Hey, welcome to Women, Wine, and Leadership. May is Mental Health Month around the world, and the world has never needed it more than it does now in 2020. So I'm sharing a series of interviews that I hope will give you hope for managing the life strategies between your ears so you can continue doing what you're here to do and not get bogged down with doubt, worry, fear. So grab yourself a friend and a glass of wine and join the conversation. So today's episode with Sonia Wasden is one I'm excited to share with people because those of you who followed me know the mental health story in my background. And when I found out about Sonia's book, a true story of her struggle within an impossible life, um, that's exactly the way that a lot of people feel when they struggle with mental wellness. So Sonia, Thanks so much for being willing to tell a bit of your story today. And uh, I would just like to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience, um, a little bit of your background, who you are, and what inspired you to write the book. Yes, um, mental illness is in my family. And what inspired me to write the book was I hid my mental illness for over 20 years because of the stigma and judgments. And after I had attempted suicide, I took over 200 pills to try to take my life. I was rushed to the hospital where my husband was currently CEO. And thankfully, the doctors there were able to save my life. But while I was in ICU, a leading psychiatrist there told my husband to never bring me back to this hospital again and to take me somewhere where people didn't know us. And it caused me to stop and think, if I had suffered a heart attack, would the doctor tell my husband to never bring me back to that hospital again? And I do think the intention of that psychiatrist was to protect us, but protect us from what? Mm. And so it caused me to ponder, why am I hiding this illness and how is that serving me or even helping my family members or people out there by continuing to hide? because of stigma and judgment, instead of coming forward and being brave and say, you know what? I have a mental illness. Right. It's amazing how much we used to hide it. And I remember when my mother was in and out of mental hospitals when I was a kid, my parents always made up some excuse that she's gone away or maybe that she's sick, but not, you know, which hospital she's actually in. And um, I love the idea of bringing mental illness out of the closet because I think that darkness is what breeds further insanity. It, we can't possibly heal if we can't talk about it. Yes. And the thing is my attempted suicide was just five years ago. And yes, we are talking more about mental illness and I think it's important. And, but I think there's still a lot of, um, there's still a lot of room to grow and the conversations that need to be had. Right. You know, I feel like suicide is a conversation killer. It's uncomfortable to talk about. And I feel like we need to come forward and have conversations that people need to feel comfortable and safe and saying, I'm having suicidal thoughts and feelings. And for us to talk about that so they can get the help that they need suicide rates have increased since the year 2000, 30%. And so I feel like, yes, we're talking about it more, but we're not seeing in statistics that, that it's going down. 
Why do you think the suicide rate is increasing? I think that, you know, it's the second leading cause of, of death for teenagers. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, I think social media, I think um, stress, anxiety, all those things are going up. And I feel like we're need to talk about where people need to realize that if you are having suicidal urges and feelings, you're sick. You need to go get help. If you broke your arm, you would go to the doctor. If a teenager broke his arm, they would go to the doctor and say, my arm's broken. I need help. But there's, like I said, the stigma that there's something wrong with you. There's shame. There's judgment that keeps it hidden and thinking there's something wrong with me instead of saying, and that's why we need to talk about it instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm sick. Yeah. I'm, I'm having suicidal thoughts and feelings and wanting to take my life. I'm ill and I need to go get help. I wonder if people are afraid that if they admit that they're ill, that they might actually get banished or put into a hospital with padded rooms or, or, um, that life might be taken away from them or privileges might be taken away from them. So how, how can somebody know confidently who they need to go to when they sense this illness? Well, I feel like you, yes, you could take into a psych ward if it's like you're going to harm yourself. And so you need to catch it before that. And it needs to be when you're starting to have feelings or thoughts that my life isn't worth it. People are better off without me or having stress and anxiety and pain in your life. I, I can tell you as someone who has swallowed over 200 pills and wanted to take my life, I didn't want to leave my family, my friends, life. I wanted to leave the pain. Yeah. And so I think people need to understand that you're having pain that you need to go, you need to go talk to your family or your close friends somewhere safe or call. There's like, now they have, um, I think it's 988. They uh -huh. have a number that the government has put out if you're having mental health. You can call them and get help. I don't know that people know about the 988 number. It's the first I've ever heard about it. Yeah, they just, the government just released that instead of 911. Like 911. I, I don't, so now I'm trying to remember because I did have it. I think it's 988 or 998. I think it's 988. Okay, I'm going to look it number. up before we publish this podcast so that I can share that number. And I think it needs to be socialized more in schools, in organizations, um, even, in, you know, in the workplace. Um, when somebody's having a treacherous mental health day, there's really no safe place to go. In a well, lot you know, it's, yeah, and it's interesting. The um, gays and lesbians have done a great job in their community in breaking down stigmas and getting accepted. And even like when you talked about in the workplace, yeah. they have groups that, um, that you can go and be a part of, you know, around race, gender, sexuality. There's no group that they've created for mental health. Like in my husband's job, they have, they have those inclusive groups where you can go and be a part of that and have discussions of what you're struggling with or what you're facing or, you know, but there's no inclusion group for mental health. Wow. Mm -hmm. that uh, now that I think about it, it, it totally makes sense. I'm thinking back to different workplace experiences. Um, one was where my boss said this thing that's leaking from your eyes. Every time I give you feedback, you need to go call the EAP and fix it, which made me feel even more ashamed. <laughs> right. Than had it not happened. 
And in, a, in another scenario, a coworker died unexpectedly of a heart attack and they had a mental health counselor come in and talk to people um, just to help process the pain. And honestly, she was, she was horrible. <laughs> she, right. she made it a really uncomfortable experience. And I almost wished I could have asked her to be excused from the room and I'll take over because I've been through a lot of death pain. Right. It was really, really sad. So um, what do you think it takes for companies to recognize the need to have some kind of um, mental health support in an organization? Well, that's why us mental health advocates are out there. We all need to ask for it. We need, like I said, we need to do a better job in our community in coming forward and talking about it. And depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. Yeah. And I feel like, is it treated as the largest, is the most, that is the largest disability in the world. Is it treated or is it talked about like it's the biggest disability in the world? And so I just feel like we need to come forward and talk about it. Like um, I did come forward and in my book, An Impossible Life, I share what it's like to have a mental illness, what it's like to be in a psych ward, what it's like to have attempted suicide. I lost my father to suicide. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that. What is it like to be a mother, a wife, struggling with this illness? And there is hope, there is treatment out there. I have a beautiful life now. My life was falling apart. I mean, I put up the image I had a great life, married to the CEO, three beautiful children, living in a beautiful home. But behind closed doors, my life was falling apart. My marriage was hanging on by a thread. And so I think that, you know, we need to come forward and have those discussions. Yeah. So Sonia, what would have, can you think back to before you took the 200 pills? Mm -hmm. What could somebody have noticed or asked you in order to bring you down from what I call the precipice? That's the place where we're ready to jump off because the pain is so great. What could, yeah, I feel like happen? when, yeah, I feel like when you see someone start to isolate themselves, I think when you see, you know, someone not, I didn't shower, I didn't change my clothes. I was, yes, I went to the required, I, I, I went to the required um, charity events for my husband hospital. And I looked great then, but on a day-to-day -day basis, my friends or family see me, I wasn't showering for like two weeks. I wasn't getting out of bed. Also weight gain. I had gained like a hundred pounds. Um, I was emotional eating. So when you see extreme changes or, I mean, there were signs and I felt like a lot of people who have read my books that a lot of my trials were relatable, even though they were more extreme, like putting on a hundred pounds, um, or spending $150,000 in three months in yeah. a mania, or I got banned from my son's high school, um, from arguing with the teacher, or yeah. I got kicked out of Michael's, you know what I mean? Because I was being obsessive about picture frames. So there were signs there. It's not like, oh my gosh, it just, but sometimes people are able to hide them more than I was. And there is that shock of, oh my gosh, they just died of suicide. And we, you know, they say we had no idea. And that's why I'm saying, so it can be both. Um, I think there can be signs and I think some people can do a really good job at hiding them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so good. And I love that you bring these out. I'm, I'm making a list of the ones that you just mentioned so that we can call them out on um, the show notes. But here's my next question. 
let's say that I know you well enough to know what you look like with your makeup on and I've noticed that you haven't gotten dressed in a week and I noticed that you blew up at the math teacher today. Yeah. What would, what would be something I could say to you that would be receivable? I think that when people say, well, how do we talk about mental health? We need to talk about it the same way as physical health. It's, needs to be the same or even when people say well what do i say like after my father died of suicide people were uncomfortable or even after my attempted suicide no one at my husband's hospital but one person asked if he and i was okay but my sister who struggled with cancer tons of people at their work right were asking is your wife okay and how's she doing with her cancer and bringing meals and mowing their lawn. I didn't get a meal brought to me. Our family, it's just like, you know, silence. Okay. And so I think we need to ask the same questions as how are they doing? How are they doing? How are, how are you doing? Is there something we can do? If you see someone doing that, um, blowing up at the math teacher or not showering to pull them aside and say, are you okay? You know, ask them that question. And listen and don't judge just listen and don't try to be their therapist either but maybe you know there i felt so depleted i didn't even have the energy to get help of saying are you okay do i need to help you make a doctor's appointment would you like me to go with you you know what i'm saying of yeah of asking that person instead of looking at them and saying oh my gosh they haven't showered for a week there's something wrong with them i'm not going to say anything go up to them give them a hug are you okay? Is there, is there, can I help you? Like those things. Can I help you get a doctor's appointment? Can I drive you to the doctor's appointment? Right. Just yeah. having somebody to go with them and yes. see that kind of a baseline, a sense of stability. It reminded me of a time that I fell apart in front of my boss, different boss than the one who told me I had to fix the crying problem. And um, instead of saying, Donna, this is really uncharacteristic behavior. She actually chastised me and said, you got to stop acting like this. <laughs> Which, you know what? And she shamed you. Right. She was shaming you instead of really looking at you, Donna, and yeah. saying, Donna, are you okay? Is there something I can help you with? Right. You I am looking at you and listening to you. I determined that day that anytime I see somebody acting in a way that's not characteristic for the person I know, I'll say, this is not the Sonia that... I remember what's going on. Is there something going on today that you need? To I okay. I love what you just said. I would have loved if someone said, this is not the typical Sonia I see is something going on. Can I help you? Cause you're just stating what you see and you're not yeah. making a judgment about my intentions. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. just stating what I see. I know uh, there was a time when I took a lot of mental health days cause I had a lot of vacation time to spend. So I would, sleep in and stay in bed all day. And my family would say, we get worried when you stay in bed all day. And um, I wonder if there's something else going on. And I loved that they actually noticed that and right. didn't wait for the, for, the, for the other shoe to drop. They said, okay, let's take a look at this. What's going on? Do you need to get out of bed? Do I need to take you to the YMCA? <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. And you know, I, how I, I the therapy that I found that is phenomenal is dialectical behavior therapy. Ah. And I have to tell you, it was a friend that found it for me. And so I did have a friend after I attempted suicide that did research on therapy. And she is the one 
and she found the she found the therapist she found the program and how grateful i am to her that she took time to do research on therapy and she even said i don't know if this will work on you but i you know let's and she did it with me let's schedule an appointment that's amazing tell me the name of the therapy program again dialectical behavior therapy and it's um abbreviations is dbt and it is the it's scientifically based evidence therapy i am telling you i've done 26 years of therapy it is the best therapy hands down i've ever done and changed my life that's amazing mm -hmm. you know just talked to a woman who said after years of talk therapy she sought wisdom from another place because she said it wasn't helping she said donna i needed something that was um somatic something that would help me to express the frustration and the the confusion and and give me an outlet in addition to the talk therapy so i just love the fact that there are different kinds of therapy that we may not even know about and it's important to talk about them yeah, well we need to share with each other talk therapy did not work for me dbt gives you skills actual skills to manage depression and anxiety and panic attacks and mental illness like mental health disorders yeah like i have a mental illness you may have a mental health disorder like one in five people will experience some type of mental health disorder in their lifetime so yours may not be a lifetime mental health issue like mine but you may have because environment or situational you may have depression come or anxiety come yeah. and you might be able to get through these you know and get better but still you need skills you right. might need medicine for a time you might need skills for a time to get through that period of your life of what you're going through right so can you dive into that a little bit the difference between mental illness and a mental health disorder well a mental illness is an actual biological illness and that's what i have i'm bipolar and it's an actual brain disorder and it's lifelong where people can develop symptoms that i experience so i had like for example dbt has group um, sessions and individual therapy in the group sessions there were people i was actually the only one there with an actual lifelong mental illness the rest were having mental health disorders because of environment situational like i have anxiety for the rest of my life and some people do have anxiety disorders that that is a biological but some people might be like i've never had depression and i'm experiencing depression or all of a sudden i'm having a panic and i haven't ever had that before and so those are things that people can get through and they may need medicine and they may need skills but they may get past it where it might not keep afflicting them for the next 10 years so a biological brain disorder is something that needs to be treated ongoing. Yeah. And is there any chance that you'll overcome it, that it will be? No, not mental. If you have a biological mental illness, it's something that has to be managed. But in mental health, like some people might have suicidal feelings and thoughts that might, they might have once in their life and then maybe never again. So there's also great hope just because you're experiencing suicidal feelings and urges. It may not be ongoing for you. Right. For me, it is ongoing. And that's why it has to be managed by a physician who knows what they're talking correct. about. Correct. Yes, correct. Medication.
Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing. So on the other side of this, then how is it working out? Um, does your family support you in different ways now that you have survived the suicide attempt? Yes. Like I said, I got dialectical behavior therapy. It's a year program. I did it for two years. I have skills now that I manage my panic attack disorder. I'm obsessive compulsive. Um, my bipolar, I have skills that I can manage it now. I don't stay in bed anymore. I'm not in, I haven't been in bed for years. I get up and I get going and I do, I live a very normal life now. Yes, I have moments during the day of pain and difficulty, but there's a lot of people living with lifelong illnesses and that's what else we need to acknowledge. Yeah. Just because you have a mental illness, there are people who have pain and discomfort and uncomfortable things that they're living with physical illnesses yeah. that they have to deal with. And if they can do it, we can do it too. Right. It doesn't mean that it has to ruin my life. I can have a life worth living and still manage a mental illness. It, yeah. It's possible. I'm doing it. Yeah. Mm. There's do you, hope. Do you have open conversations with your kids? Oh, absolutely. And I have a son that's been diagnosed as bipolar, but he has the best medicine. He's in DBT. He has the best therapy. So isn't that good news that yeah. there's so much more knowledge out there? And even within our family, I mean, my dad, I think, gosh, you know, he... I don't know, had there been more therapy, more talked about, would he have died from suicide? I, I don't know. Um, and that's why I'm saying there's progress. I have great hope for our future, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Absolutely. You know, like last September, I believe there was a shooting and our president put out a tweet that said, it's not guns, it's mental illness and hatred that, you know, pulled the trigger. What I'm telling you is mental illness, people with mental illness are no, studies have been proven. We are no more likely to be violent than the average person actually. But yet we have a stigma around mental illness that they're violent, that if there's a shooting, it's mental illness. When studies have been published that we are no apt to be more violent. But you know, people don't want to be associated with an illness that you're crazy, you're violent. Who wants to come forward and be a part of that group? Right. I don't want to be, right? Who wants right. to say, oh yeah, let's be a part of the crazy group, the violent group. And that's why I'm saying there's still work that needs to be done. And it's been also studies have been proven that if there's a negative association with an illness, people don't seek treatment. Right. They don't want to be associated with it. Yeah. We have to acknowledge that those people who misuse guns do have mental illness issues. Wouldn't you say? Um, they're saying that it could be a component, but also they're saying that, um, I mean, maybe, they're, they're, they're not saying it's definitive. If you go Google the articles, what psychiatrists are saying, it could be a part of it, but it's not every shooter has a mental illness. And, there, and a lot of these people bad who are shooters that are killing people haven't, and, and this is what's difficult to know, they haven't been, a, a large majority of them have not been diagnosed with a mental illness. So you can't, if they haven't, if they don't have a diagnose, we're saying, oh, they're, see again, they have a mental illness, they're crazy. When, if they don't have a diagnosis, it's unclear. 
So we can't go out there and just say, oh, they're mentally ill. I mean, would it be fair to say, oh, they're gay when they haven't come out as gay, but oh, they're gay, they're, the shooters are gay. I, I, think, I think we need to be a little more careful because these mass shooters have not been diagnosed, the majority of them, as having a mental illness. And a lot of them are dead now because they were shot. We don't know is what I think is the better answer to say. Right. I think it's a comfort to us to think, well, there's, we have to have something to blame it on because no one in their right mind would do something like that. Well, okay. But then why does mental illness, why, why, are, we, why are we so apt and easy to say it's mental illness? So we're out of our mind. Do you see who wants yeah, to come so forward and be part of a group that's out of their mind? Yeah, it's perpetuating so, stigma that keeps us from getting help. Right. And there are people that experience psychosis, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. But that's, you know, the majority of people with mental illness are not experiencing psychosis and they're not out of their mind. Okay. That's I mean, I've never experienced psychosis and I have a mental illness. Okay. That's a really interesting distinction that I think a lot of people, we, we tend to make general um, categorizations without really understanding um, the difference between a mental illness and a mental health disorder and a psychosis and schizophrenia. And I, have you ever read Brain on Fire about the gal? I did. Yeah, it was inflammation in the brain that was causing what was manifesting as mental illness. And once they fixed the inflammation, she was all better. It's just, it's, it's crazy. That, that, that but she had, she had a psychosis happen because of the inflammation in the brain. Yeah, but the psychosis was a result of the inflammation, not... Right, and not, so that's very different than having a mental illness. Right. Yeah. But it's confusing for the... Yes, know. it is. And Would you we, say that when folks read your book, they'll understand some of those distinctions a little bit better? Well, I would say uh, an Amazon review from a psychiatric nurse said after she read my book, she'll never look at her patients the same way. Nice. And I've had another Amazon review from a woman who said her sister is mentally ill and now she understands her better. I've also had people say that after they read my book, that they have a greater understanding and compassion for mental illness. And what it, it goes, it's basically in my book, we, it's written like a movie. You basically get to come into the car with me and you get to experience what it's like to have a mental illness, what it's like to have suicidal urges, what it's like in a psych ward, what it's like to have those emotions and feelings. So we wrote it in a very powerful first person narrative where you come into the car with me and you get to go along this ride with me and my family. And people say by the end of it, that they feel a part of the Wasdom family. They feel like they're a part of our family. Yeah. And so you really get to come in. I open the doors and it's raw. It's honest. I don't hold back. And so you get to come into the, you get to, I open the doors into my family and into my life and you get to experience it as a, on a firsthand experience. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think story is the way that we find ourselves. We have to hear how other people have experienced things and, and, and walk through their healing to be able to, to chart a path for ourselves. It's yes. A beautiful thing that you've done. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Um, why I write fiction because um, I don't know the other side of my mom's suicide. And so I keep trying to tell the rest of the story. 
And right. that's one way to, to heal. It's one way to, to help others to find. It, it is. And, you know, um, writing is beautiful. Stories are beautiful. When people read my book, it's not fiction. This is a, this is my life. Yeah. I, this, when somebody gets my book, I always want to tell them they're holding my life in their hands. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, sh I share everything and it's, it wasn't easy. Right. But, um, you lived to be able to show a path for the rest of uh, the world. So yes, that there, there is hope. Yeah. There is hope. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sonia. I really, I really do appreciate you being so vulnerable and willing to share and um, excited to hear that your, your story out in the world is starting to raise questions and conversations that I think will bring um, a new way of operating in schools and in companies. We all need to speak up, don't we? Yes, we all need to speak up and create the change that we, that we need and want. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I'm so glad you joined us today on Women, Wine, and Leadership. I hope you left with some really practical strategies. And if you're feeling like, hmm, not sure where to go from here, go to 360lifestrategies.com, scroll down the page, and click on Book My Strategy Session Now. That's what I'm here for. I'll offer you a 30-minute strategy session to kind of get you off to the next place. And, you know, if we need to work together further, we can do that. I just want you to be connected with the strategies you need to not just survive this life, but thrive. There's a whole nother world that many of us haven't even had access to. That's what we're here to do. So stop by. <music>